1: as an entrepreneur and also community leader. I think, you know, our jobs are not just to throw events or to be on partnership calls. It's also a lot of emotional work to like be there for other people and be kind and be very empathetic. And so if your cup is not full, you can't give to others. And I think the same thing for entrepreneurs as well. They have so much going on in a given day. But you know, making sure that you stay like calm and collected at all times is also super important be successful.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Community Experience Podcast. Assuming you're coming back, if this is your first time, welcome. Happy to have you. Very excited to talk to today's guest, Elizabeth Tutus. I get so caught up in last names. It's just Tutus, but then I have to pause and make sure I said it right. Today, I'm talking to Elizabeth. She is the head of community at Grid110, which is an Organization, a nonprofit organization that has a goal to make an equitable playing field for minorities in obtaining capital, giving early stage entrepreneurs the tools necessary to be successful. So, obviously, I'm obsessed. This is cool. It's a cool organization. They do accelerators and help underrepresented folks learn how to get capital, how to create. A business, usually tech-based, but as we get into, not necessarily, but sort of that startup culture, trying to get more female founders and founders of color. So I'm all about it. This is my jam. I love talking to Elizabeth about the org, but also just her life story. She has a fascinating story that we will get into. Um, like me, she's a kid that lived in many places and through that kind of sees the world through a different lens that I think a lot of community builders do. Um, Not that you had to live in a lot of places, but I think a lot of us at some point felt like we didn't belong. And so looked at things differently and then kind of whether we realized it or not, started working towards helping other people feel like they belong and then evolved into what we are today, amazing community builders. So we'll get into it with Elizabeth. We talk about a lot of cool things. Like so many orgs, they started very in-person, had to shift for the pandemic. And now, I mean, obviously there's still a pandemic happening, but as people are kind of figuring out where they are and how they offer their programming and kind of staying digital for a lot of things. So we get into that, we get a lot into just what you need to consider as a community leader, as well as like how to expand your events and programming in ways that make sense for who you're trying to reach and making things more interactive and interesting, especially as, you know, we're all on Zoom. We talk about Zoom alternatives and just ways to make those digital events just more captivating, more interesting, if you will. I think we all have Zoom fatigue to a point, even though it's here to stay. I guess it's just meeting fatigue now maybe. Uh, So we talk about some platforms that help with that. We also just talk about strategies, things to do. It's a good episode. I think you'll have a lot of takeaways for your own community and just kind of ways to be checking in with members and making sure things are going great. So here we go. This is the community experience. Talking to Elizabeth Tutis of Grid 110. Okay, welcome, everybody. We are here and we're golden. I'm so excited because I get to talk to Elizabeth Tudis today, who is the Managing Director of Girls in Tech LA. She's on the steering committee for All Raise, which is an amazing organization to help female founders and female investors, and I can't wait to talk about it and she's the head of community for Grid 110. So in all the places I'm so excited. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Of course. You have such a interesting story and history how you got into all of this. I think something that really stands out to me is that you grew up in Germany and then moved to the US as a teenager. And not only do you speak English, as we know, and German, you speak Korean. So you're just like, you have the superpower I want, which is actually being able to learn other languages. (laughs) But tell me more about like, what was it like just growing up in Germany and then moving here and to the States, you know, as a teenager, I'm sure that was kind of an interesting cultural change.
1: Yeah, I'm, I think what they call a third culture kid So I grew up in Germany and went to a German school and spoke German, and I'm half German, but I'm also half Korean. So at home, I would eat Korean and go to Korean church and learn Korean. So from a very early age on, I was exposed to different cultures, and I also didn't quite but I didn't quite feel like I fit in anywhere because I wasn't ever Asian enough or I wasn't really German enough with my, you know, later Hosen and my my beer. So I think from an early age, I had a lot of empathy for diversity and inclusion, even though, you know, back then I had no idea that there was such a thing as diversity and inclusion. But it gave me a lot of empathy for other people who maybe look different or had different backgrounds or had just untraditional pathways.
0: I love that. And I feel like that is like the siren song of community builders. I have a similar, you know, growing up in different countries and just never really feeling like I identified or fit in. And so, same kind of thing, just very aware of other people potentially feeling that way and want to, you know, going out of my way to include people that may be feeling that because I know that lonely feeling also just moving a lot and being the new kid all the time. Right. So yeah, I feel like that's a a common thread for many of us that get into community. So tell me more about how you did get into community. Obviously we'll flash forward from moving to the U S at 16, but where did community kind of find you in your life?
1: Where did community find me? I think I've been doing a lot of reflecting these days. And I mean, as you probably know, community as a profession is a rather new thing. I feel like it's popped up more the last couple of years and community roles didn't exist even five years ago or 10 years ago, at least when when I was looking for jobs at the time. But In hindsight, I feel like everything that I've done and every role that I've pursued both professionally and personally has had a hint of community. So for example, when I was in college, I was a resident assistant. So I was sort of the go-to person for all of the new freshmen that were new to campus. They didn't know anyone. They didn't have any friends. And so it was my job to make them feel welcomed and make them feel included and to just make sure that they had someone to talk to. And that is a skill set that just came very naturally to me and something that I really enjoyed. And so my guidance counselor back then suggested that I should go into psychology, human resources, just because I was a natural people's person. So I pursued human resources as a first career path out of college. And that's where I started my career, worked in human resources for a couple of years and did a very similar thing. So I would be responsible for welcoming new employees into the company. I would be the first face that they see. And it's also something that I really enjoyed just building those relationships, learning about people, learning about their stories. And I remember... I remember in my first full-time job working in human resources, this was totally outside of my job description, by the way, this is not required of me, but it's just what I wanted to do. I would take out new employees out to lunch. So we would get new employees every week or every two weeks, and I would go and get coffee with them or go get lunch with them. And this sounds kind of crazy, but I would pay out of pocket for that lunch and I was making like pretty much minimum wage at the time. But I just really wanted them to feel like you're welcome here. And I genuinely want to get to know you. And I want you to know that you can come talk to me about anything. And so I was working in human resources and really thought that that was going to be my career path for the rest of my life. And what ended up happening was I was in this nine to five job doing human resources, a lot of paperwork, a lot of onboarding, a lot of. California employment law. And at the same time, I discovered entrepreneurship. So I explored and discovered these things that are called startups, apps, different products that are new and shiny that can change the world, or at least can make your life easier. And at the time, I feel like I was, I've always loved trying out new products. So for example, I've always ordered my groceries online before COVID ever hit. So anything that will make my life more efficient or easier or faster, like I love Uber, Lyfts, any of those products. And so I really became fascinated with all things startups. And I would read TechCrunch articles during my lunch break. And I would go to startup events right after work. And I just became engulfed in the startup community here in L.A. And for the longest time, I viewed it as a really random hobby that I had. I was really like curious about it, fascinated with it. But at the same time, I also didn't necessarily see myself as a founder or business owner myself. So I figured it's just this random thing that I'm really passionate about. And I would go to every single event that was out there. At the same time, I had also just moved to Los Angeles. So I was new to the city and I didn't have much of a network or like professional or, or personal network. So I would go to an event pretty much every night just to make friends and talk about entrepreneurship and talk about startups. And I would sit in the front row. And what ended up happening was that I started building my network that way. And I started getting to know a lot of founders and entrepreneurs and startup leaders in the space. The thing that's really unique about LA is that the startup community here is very tight-knit in the best way possible. It's very communal. So once you start going to events, you'll start seeing the same same people over and over again. And the woman who is now my boss, but at the time wasn't, noticed me and said, hey, you're at every single event that I go to. And I so happened to be looking for someone who does the same thing, but for my company someone who can go out and be the face of our organization and who can speak on events and talk on podcasts. And so it it seemed like a match made in heaven. So I got to do what I loved naturally and what I was doing for free, but for an organization that does really amazing work. And I've been there ever since.
0: That's amazing. I love that what you were doing in your free time as a hobby, like someone actually came and basically offered you, like, how about you get paid for this thing you love doing? So it's like amazing. And so this was Grid 110?
1: This was Grid 110, yeah.
0: So tell us more about Grid 110, because it's a really amazing organization.
1: It is an amazing organization. So Grid 110 is a startup accelerator and nonprofit organization that's based in Los Angeles. We've been around for seven years now, and we support early stage entrepreneurs Um, And we've been doing it for the last seven years. We are industry agnostic. So you'll see anything from fintech companies to beauty brands, to vegan food trucks, everything across the board. But I think one thing that's pretty unique about Good 110 is that a large majority of our companies that we work with are underrepresented founders. So about 94% of our founders are either female founders or they're a Black or Latinx founder. Which is very different from you know the typical funding numbers that you might see in the venture landscape.
0: That's amazing. How many founders are are like active at a time?
1: Yeah, so we have two hundred fifty founders in our Good One Ten community, and we actively work with around twenty companies at a time. So we offer a three months long accelerator program that founders go through, and in those programs we. I would say anywhere from 15 to 20 companies to work with at at a time when once they're done with the three months accelerator, you know, educational program, we continue the relationship that we have with them. And I actually work a lot closer with what we call our portfolio companies. So the companies that have finished and completed their accelerator portion, and I help them with anything ranging from hiring to fundraising with their pitch decks, partnerships, marketing, things like that.
0: Oh, I love that. So as a founder, you go, you get into the the next accelerator, you do the accelerator, but then you have this kind of soft landing into the community where they can continue working on everything from the accelerator with other founders. Do I understand that?
1: Yeah, You you know, one thing that we hear is that we work with a lot of solo founders or first-time founders. And entrepreneurship can be incredibly lonely when you're going through it by yourself or nobody in your family or nobody in your friend circle like is an entrepreneur and knows what you're talking about and knows the challenges. So what we hear a lot is just founders being so excited and grateful to find a community with other people who understand their struggles, even though they might be in a completely different industry. There is this common, you know, understanding of of what it's like to be an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. I mean, obviously, we do. You know, we support mostly solo or like very small company. You know, with the founders running the company, it warms my heart because it is. It's it's hard and it's a lot. And so to have that support is just. It's the difference between success and failure. Frankly, I think for a lot of people, because you have people who get it that you can talk to safely and just say like you can be vulnerable, right? You're like, look, I you know, I did this pitch, it went horrible. I feel horrible. And you have a group of people who understand that, understand the stakes and are there to like, well, let's look at like, what happened? Let's look at your deck. Let's figure it out together, right? And that's, without that, if you just walked home, you know, like the sad Charlie Brown music and went home and like, you know, ate cake and binge Netflix, you might be like, I'm not cut out for this, you know, without that support. So I love that. I have so many questions. So I'm curious, because you mentioned your industry agnostic, do you find any issues or like uh, challenges with that or any blocks? If there's, you know, maybe someone joins and there aren't many other people in that industry where they don't feel as a part of the accelerator community or the, the community afterwards? Do you find that at all?
1: We haven't run into that, thankfully. But what I would say is, and, and going back to you know how LA is just very, very unique in terms of the startup community. If we ever do run into a situation where we feel like we might not be the right person or we might not be the right resource for the founder, we refer a ton of founders to other organizations or other funds that maybe specialize in you know, like an aerospace startup or a green tech accelerator. If it's super, super niche, we we love sending referrals to people or or sending them other resources.
0: I really like that. Yeah, because it can be hard, and and I ask because we are also industry agnostic, and that is some, you know sometimes someone has a business that's so niche, and our what we offer and support is too general, and kind of same thing. If we can't provide what you need. We want you to invest your time and money in a community that can. exactly Yeah. So tell me more because I love that your focus is underrepresented founders. Do you have as a company like a strategy or you just, I know that like, as you were saying, the texting in LA, it's kind of the, like everyone knows each other after a point and whatnot, but do you have any sort of way you go about trying to find the right type of founder to apply to your programming?
1: So despite the numbers, we're not a diversity fund, or we don't advertise ourselves as a diversity organization. And I think that's always been the case. For us, I think we try to find the best companies that are out there. And for the longest time, we were only focused on supporting LA-based companies. And we've actually just recently opened it up to supporting companies on a national level. But when we were working with just LA companies, we at the time, we just wanted our founders to look the way that our community looks like our neighbors look and like what we look like. We have a super diverse team itself at Goodwinton. So I think that's also very important is, you know, the leadership and is the team diverse or are they inclusive? I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. I could see that too as a, as a potential, you know, as a founder looking at different organizations, just being able to look at your organization and and see yourself is powerful, which is fantastic. I didn't realize that that you didn't I don't want to say target, but you know, like it happens naturally.
1: Yeah, it it has and and to answer your question, it has it, it kind of has happened naturally. We haven't tried to aggressively target certain demographics. We do get a ton of founders and startups from word of mouth. So it's just our entrepreneurs having a really great and meaningful experience that they then want to share with their friends. And then it happened this way. Also, I think another thing that makes Good One pretty unique is that we we don't take any equity with anything that we do. So our founders come into our programs and depending on... We have multiple programs you know, going on. But depending on which program they apply for with certain programs, they do get a grant that is equity free, meaning you don't have to give any percentage up of your company and you don't have to pay that money back. It is fully yours. It's a grant. But yeah, this whole time, this, the seven years that we've been around, we've never taken any equity from our companies. And so we're truly invested in the success of our companies. We want to see them succeed. We are also not a VC firm ourselves. So we don't, not all of our founders fundraise, for example. A lot of them do in their own ways, but other companies decide to, they might decide to stay bootstrapped and that's totally fine with us as well.
0: That's great. It's interesting that I really like that, that the goal is not necessarily to then go raise VC capital. It's more just to find what What works for you. Yeah. Exactly, what on your terms, which I think is desperately needed, you know, in startup culture. I know the, you know, going after VC is amazing, and you can do the thing with that backing, but at the expense of pretty high expectations on how fast and like to what level, right? So I, I love that there are, are options for people because it, I know VC can be very scary.
1: I've been in the in the field for a couple of years now, and. I, I always think that at the end of the day, the founders know the best. They know their businesses way better than I could ever do. And so giving them that full autonomy and, and pathway. And for us, what we do is we just offer different options and different ways. So for example, we, we actually launched this super popular event series last year, called Funding Pathways, where each month we have a panel and we talk about all of the different funding options. Because like you mentioned, I think a big misconception is that there's only one route and it's VC and you have to raise a million dollars. And you can, but there are also other, other pathways that you can pursue that might be even better for your business or better for your equity. But yeah, as you mentioned, the VC landscape is looking a little grim, especially for female founders, especially for Black and Latinx founders. The the funding they they receive is about two percent, three percent at at its best. So we definitely want to educate people about all of the different various ways that they can get money for their businesses
0: because we do want to see them succeed. That's a depressing statistic. Two to three oh. percent that annoys me. (laughs) So this funding pathway series, that sounds like an excellent example of just programming, like you as an organization identified, like, obviously, right? Like funding is a huge piece of the puzzle, a huge concern, there's mystery around it. So to create a series about that, to give people options, is that, was that series something that was open up to the public or was that specific to your, your community? How did you go about that?
1: Funny that you asked that because it used to be a private series that was just open to our community. I think one day our team just had the thought of what if we just opened it up to the public because we're all about, you know, creating access and making things accessible to all founders. So, it kind of makes sense that we, we should just make this type of education accessible. So, what we started doing is we, um, we did publicize the event series. And the really incredible thing is that our, our sign up numbers went from, I think we would have maybe about 20, 25 founders show up for these monthly panels. And now we're up to 150 each month. So there's clearly a demand and, and people being interested in in what the different funding options are. And then another thing that we also started doing as a team is we created a YouTube channel for Good One Ten, 10 and we started recording these sessions and we would put them on our YouTube channel so people can actually watch them later on and other people can listen to them and watch them and we can just kind of spread the word.
0: I love it. Be right back. Gonna go subscribe. Please do. Have you found (laughs) Yeah. have you found since doing that since opening it up? Do you find more people start participating in your programming and kind of join your community?
1: I, I like to think so. I mean, ultimately, that's, you know, one of the things that I always think about in my role is what can I well, two things, like when you're building community or when I'm building community at Good on 10, it's kind of twofold. One side of it is internal. So how can I build a community for our entrepreneurs that are part of our portfolio? And then externally, it's how can I build sort of our brand that would attract potential entrepreneurs, that would attract partners and different organizations that maybe would want to partner with us. So it's an interesting way to think about building community for two different demographics
0: it's tricky there's something to be said about providing a lot of value to people like like you said picking this series and you know starting it in the community and then opening it up that I think that shows other other people who may be familiar or not just what you're about and and exactly providing that value for free says a lot about you
1: I will another tip that I have for maybe other other community leaders, community builders, is to incorporate a lot of feedback loops in what you're doing. Ooh, Tell me more. Yeah. So after each event, we send out a like one-question feedback survey that's pretty much like, what did you think of the event? And people can answer that question open-endedly. But we read through it all. We read through every single feedback that we receive. But it's super important for us to just check in with our community after every event after everything that we host to see if it even landed, if it resonated, that actually is what made the, you know, funding pathway series so successful because we would get these like small or minor suggestions or edits or things that maybe we could change. And so I think it's super important to have those regular feedback loops to check in. I feel like I get a lot of credit for some of the events that I throw or initiatives that I come up with, but honestly, the best ones are not even my idea. Like the best ones came directly from the community because it's something that they asked for or something that they wanted. And we just created space for them to, you know, bring up those ideas.
0: Yes. That's I'm always, I'm super repetitive and annoying with like ask your community what they want. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. They'll tell you.
0: Oh yeah. They will tell you. And like, Providing the, the, a way to do that easily is so, so important. What's kind of the general in your community do people just, you know, make, and, and I don't know, like what platform you're on or what however it works, but are, are people like emailing you, DMing you, or are there like posts that start where people start saying like ideas about what they want for events or just feedback in general? Do you have a, a formal process?
1: Yeah. So you, you might already be familiar with this platform, but we love using Luma for all of our events.
0: Oh, I'm not? Yeah, you should definitely check it out. I, I think I have been on a Luma. Yeah. It's I... hard to remember all of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Luma, it's pretty great. It's like a modern version of Eventbrite and they will automatically send out event feedback forms after your event so you don't manually need to send out any any emails. And I feel like I'm a walking advertisement for Luma because they have been just incredible with setting up events and collecting data on your attendees and on your entrepreneurs. It's been super fun. Yeah, but that that would probably be my biggest tip is just ask your community what they want and listen to it. And I also think building and growing community has been a little, not tricky, but it's definitely been a a unique challenge with COVID and remote work and everything transitioning to virtual. Good 110 used to be fully in person. So we would have our accelerator sessions in person and see everyone and build relationships and grab dinner with everyone. And then in 2020, we transitioned to being fully remote. And that brings up a whole set of other unique challenges, and it definitely made me think about what do I have to consider as a community leader when it comes to, you know, hosting events or hosting workshops. For example, we have a lot of parent entrepreneurs that we work with. If you're a parent entrepreneur, the ideal time to host a workshop might not be at 7 p.m. when you're putting your kid to bed, or even something like things that maybe I haven't, I've never thought about before, like disabilities. If somebody has ADHD or they just cannot sit still for three hours for a Zoom workshop, how can you accommodate that? Or how can you make sure that your sessions are very engaging and it's not just someone talking for three hours?
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, right. We all lived through this transition period of like everything going, you know, suddenly everyone had a Zoom account and, you know, my mom's on Zoom, right? And now it's like, well, how do we continue this especially for you know our community has always been digital but the, the zoom fatigue is real regardless it's like how can we make these things more dynamic and interesting and uh, you know oh not another zoom call did you have any good findings or feedback from your community to address say like the 3 hour workshop and how to how to make it fun
1: yeah we've definitely incorporated more breakout groups than maybe we would have when we were in person so breakout groups are really great over zoom using polls is also good. Actively engaging your community. So making sure that you don't have just one speaker come in who sort of lectures a group, but it's also having open discussions and group discussions and small group discussions. I think those things are are pretty helpful.
0: Yeah. I've been playing with a platform called Butter. Are you familiar with Butter?
1: No, but that sounds intriguing.
0: I know, right? I mean, who doesn't love Butter? It's a platform that's intentionally made to have dynamic workshops and events there's um it's it's intentionally very fun like you can have you can add in different segments to your agenda that they have built into the platform so you can add a dance party like a one minute dance party oh i love that yeah and everybody who's participating on screen it the it actually is set up so it'll show someone it'll randomly show different people as the main and then you're supposed to like copy whatever they do right so i'm doing like the vogue and maybe everyone would fall, and then it would switch to you. And now it's your turn to, you know, do whatever dance move kind of thing. And just like there's just it, it's a good balance of like silly, but like fun, silly and getting things done and just making it fun. Yeah, they have a free tier. Check it out. I'll have to check it out. We're going to use that for our community's two year anniversary party. So we'll see. I'll let you know. It could either be a total disaster because people are like, wait, I don't You know, my camera doesn't have the right permissions or it'll be so much fun that we use it for everything. Who knows? (laughs) I'm curious now that, I mean, COVID is still happening. There's still a pandemic. Uh, All of us kind of have our own, how much we accept that there's still a pandemic, but all that aside, uh, especially, you know, in the summer when you can do things, I guess it's LA, you can do things outside all year round, I forget. (laughs) But are you as an organization kind of, steering back to in-person events and maybe in-person workshops or you kind of just you mentioned that you're not LA specific anymore for some programming does that hinder like potentially doing some LA specific things or where are you with that I guess yeah so our team is
1: fully remote as of two years ago and all of our programming is is fully remote at this point all of our workshops all of our accelerator sessions but we know that people want to get together and they miss that in person inter- interaction. We threw a gathering this past weekend actually for our for our founders in LA. But that was like the first event that we've done since the pandemic. So I think we're trying to be safe and trying to take it slow.
0: Yeah, most of it has been fully virtual. How was how was seeing people in person? So like oh
1: a lot of people are are not the height that you think they'd be?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's my favorite part about meeting people in person. It's like, who's taller? Yeah. Our team's fully remote. And I mean, I'd worked here at least, I think a year before I met people in person as like a, you know, at a, like a summit that we got together. And it was really fun to see, you know, like who's tall, who's not, who walks, who has a silly walk. <laughs> or like, who walks crazy fast and who walks slower? There's something about it. It's just fun. It's fun to meet people in real life and get the height check because you'd never know. Looking at me now, am I tall? Am yeah, short? I'm.
1: I'm also told I'm a lot funnier in person, so I think Zoom, <laughs> Zoom, maybe dims my humor a bit.
0: I don't know how I feel about that feedback. <laughs> I was like, uh, thank you. No, yeah. I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, it's got to be, you know, transitioning as a team from in-person to remote. How it, I assume most of your staff, at least that was there when the pandemic hit, you're, you're all still in like the LA area, or maybe some people opted to take advantage of moving somewhere different. But how how has the transition been, I guess? And I realize it's been two years, but have you found that you're all able to Keep that sense of you know work community that dynamic
1: over over the interwebs. We've we've doubled our team. Oh wow! Since the pandemic, and so we had a lot of new team members who joined us during the pandemic. So this past weekend is when when some of our team members like met for the very first time. And so I think I think at that point like you you don't know any different like it's but I um, I think it's been good. I think it's been good. Uh, no hiccups yet. I mean, as we talked about, it's definitely harder to build a community over Zoom or over a camera, but we try to make it work. And we're very, we're a small team. So we're all very close to each other and we make it work. That's great.
0: Ping-ponging back to the community. I mean, kind of same question. How has, how has that transition been from having more, you know, just having people interact with each other online as the primary method?
1: I mean, you you have the sort of downside where it's like people can't meet as much in person as maybe you would like. But I think it also all opens up a lot more opportunity. So for example, I don't know with going remote, we're now able to serve more entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs outside of LA. And I think that was always the vision. But I think it might have happened a lot later if it wasn't COVID. So I think it's also about looking at the plus sides um, and looking at the upside of, okay, this might not be ideal right now, but it also comes with its own benefits of being able to actually serve more entrepreneurs across the board. And in terms of how our founders engage, we we have our sessions, we have our accelerator sessions that our founders attend. But then another popular thing is our Slack channel. So we have a super engaged and active Slack channel that all of our founders have access to. And every day we post anything from pitch competitions, grant opportunities, or any events that are going on. And they're super active on there and they really take advantage. So I feel like they were already pretty, pretty active digitally before, before COVID hit.
0: That's nice. Mm -hmm. Are you finding there's any kind of slump this summer, especially now that people are traveling again?
1: I haven't noticed a slump per se. I feel like as an entrepreneur, your job is 24 seven. you don't really get a break or, or or holidays. But what I have seen though is VC firms definitely do have kind of their downtimes or their holidays when they're less active or they they might not make active investments in companies, but for us um, since we don't financially invest in companies, we see kind of the same level of engagement throughout the year. That's
0: nice. I wish I could say the same, but people are on vacation. <laughs>
1: they need a rest, which I feel like that's also a good topic of taking care of yourself and resting. much needed.
0: Yeah. I imagine with, you know, the the type of, you know, founders in your community and in your programs, that's probably challenging for them. Like maybe they're kind of a, they're a unique group because they have a lot riding on what they're doing. So do you ever force people on a break?
1: <laughs> I don't ever force them to do anything, but I, I do gently, gently nudge them. Or, or we do definitely have those conversations about where they're at and where their head is at and to maybe take a break once in a while or to really practice self-care as an entrepreneur. I think it goes both ways as an entrepreneur and also community leader. I think our our jobs are not just to throw events or to be on partnership calls. We have to, it's also a lot of emotional work to like be there for other people and be present and be kind and be very empathetic. And so if you're not, if your cup is not full, you can't give to others. And I think the same thing for entrepreneurs as well, they have so much going on in a given day that I think practicing self-care is super important. And I think there's a sense of urgency with founders where it's like, especially when they're solo founders or first time founders, where they feel like they have to do all of these, you know, million and one things on a given day. But, you know, making sure that you stay like calm and collected at all times is also super important to be successful.
0: I'm so curious, you know, without getting into details, but just in general, in your community, like what are kind of the signals you see whether it's member activity, behavior that makes you want to reach out to someone and check in and make sure they're taking care of themselves. Like for, for all the community builders listening, what tips do you have for like kind of identifying that so that you can reach out? Because I know a lot of, a lot of people struggle with that and just how to, how to approach that, those sorts of conversations, you know, kindly, like you said, but also just make sure people know that we, you know, we see them and want to make sure they're Taking care of themselves.
1: Yeah, I think when you get to a point when someone, or in, you know, in my case, a founder is coming to you and saying that they're going through a hard time, or you can clearly tell that they're going through a hard time, it's probably a little too late. Like they've probably already crossed that line of burnout and and overload. So there are a couple of ways. Number one, you can be proactive about it. So one of the reasons why I love Luma so so much is because you can pull a lot of data. And information on your attendees. So for example, something that I'll do is I will go through our attendee data, um, particularly our founders, our portfolio founders, and I can sort it by who's sort of the most active and least active in terms of event attendance. Now, this doesn't work all the time, just because a founder might not attend an event doesn't mean that they're not fully engaged in the community but it it can definitely help so something that i'll do is i'll take a look at sort of the founders that maybe they've attended an event but it's been six months or it's been a long time and i'll just send them a message and check in on them i think um, i saw a recent article that said you know just reaching out and letting someone know that you're thinking of them like means a lot to people than than we think so i'll do that And then another thing that I'll also do is sort of open office hours. So I send out an email about every two weeks to our portfolio companies that comes personally from me. So it's not a newsletter of any sorts It's just email that I send and I'll include like my calendar link and I'll just say, this is kind of an open slot. If you want to talk about your pitch decks or fundraising, or if you just want to talk about anything at all, you can schedule time at any point. And then I also have founders who I felt, you know, kind of a stronger relationship with over the last years and where I've been able to build trust. And they'll just give me a call or a FaceTime and ring me up if they're going through something. And that's totally fine, too. It's also about understanding kind of where do your entrepreneurs live digitally? Do they go to a lot of events? And if so, meet them there. Do they FaceTime? Then meet them there.
0: I love that. Where do they live digitally? Because it's so true. Like we have members that are at every live event they can possibly attend. They like the this. They like the face-to-face, in person, like back and forth. And then we have other members who don't come to any of those, but they're in our forums with the asynchronous on their time, like posting, you know, things they're trying, asking questions, that sort of stuff. And we have some observers as on the podcast. I've joked with many, many guests about how I don't like to say lurkers because it implies like, you know, like, uh, like heavy breathing behind a, you know, like up to something weird. So I like to say observers, you know, people who are very quiet and you wouldn't know, like I'll reach out and be like, Hey, you know, are you having a good time? Can I help you? And they're like, yeah, I'm great. Thanks. You know, and they're perfectly happy. So that, yeah. Where do they live digitally? Also just like, what's their style of engagement, right? I love that. I mean, you know, all of this and I like that idea of your office hours. We do topic based office hours, but just having that open ended, like, hey, for these two hours, I have 30 minute blocks or whatever it is, like, feel free to to book one to talk. I've been thinking about doing that again, something similar to that with just kind of like coffee talks, you know, like coffee chats, I guess, it's just like, hey, super casual.
1: Sometimes people just need a space to talk.
0: Yeah, because it is it's lonely, right? So just having that, like, break in the day to talk like like we are now. Uh oh, all right. Well, it is time to shift gears entirely and and move into our rapid fire questions. Are are you ready, Elizabeth? I am ready. All right. There are no wrong answers. Let's start with my favorite question. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Probably not what you're thinking of,
1: because when I was a kid or when I was younger I just wanted to be a mom. Oh, that's sweet. I'm not. I'm not a mom. I'm not a mom right now. But um, I'm weirdly obsessed with products and startups in the parenting space. But yeah, it's a random thing. Professionally, I think the first thing I wanted to become is a flight attendant because of the multiple languages. I figured it might be useful.
0: You'd be an amazing flight attendant. I feel like they are <laughs> community managers in their own way.
1: In the in the air, I was a flight attendant for Halloween. I think we're three years straight.
0: (laughs) I love it. Yeah, That's amazing. Awesome. Didn't expect either of those. Those are great. Elizabeth, how do you define community?
1: Community for me is a group of people coming together for a similar purpose.
0: What is something on your quote unquote bucket list that you have done? Something you always wanted to do that you that you did do?
1: Honestly, I hate to be cheesy, but something like this pre-pandemic. No, please don't let this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: you got, you got um, no, <laughs> I'm,
1: seri- I'm serious. I'm um, serious. Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. No, there's a there's a story. Why there's a story. Why so pre pre-pand- um, pre-pandemic. One of my goals or like bucket list items was to speak on podcast, but maybe not because of why you think. It's actually because you know, as as I mentioned, I moved to the U.S. when I was a teenager, when I was 16 years old and I actually couldn't speak any English. So I moved to the US without speaking English. And I had a really, really bad, like European accent. And I just felt so shy, like even ordering food at a restaurant. So for me, like being able to do this and like convey my ideas and share my story, like very openly is actually a big bucket list item, because it's so far from like, where I've come 10 years ago.
0: Oh my gosh. I, that makes me like tear up, like legitimately tear up a little bit. That's really sweet. I hope you get to be on some much cooler. I mean, this is obviously the biggest, coolest podcast on the planet, but now that you've been on it, I hope you, it really is. <laughs> hope you get to be on some other ones. And yeah, that sounds terrifying for what it's worth. I would not know that you weren't born speaking English. If, you, if I didn't, like, if you hadn't told me, if I, that wasn't in the The notes for this episode, I would have no idea. Like if I could speak English as well as you do, I'd be happy. And it's the only language I have. Okay. What is something on that bucket list that you haven't done yet, but is like on the list, want to do it?
1: I have a serious bucket list item and I have a silly bucket list item. The serious one.
0: We'll take them both. Yeah.
1: The serious one is I really want to travel to Korea. So I, since I'm half Korean, I actually used to spend my summers in Korea half of my family is there. And I used to pretty much just I have a ton of memories from there as a kid, but I just haven't been able to go in a really long time because of COVID and work and all the things. But I've been meaning to go back for the longest time. So that would be a huge bucket list item and just reconnecting with my family and my my roots. And then this the silly bucket list item, when my friends and team listens to this, they're going to laugh. But it's to get a cat. I've been on the hunt to get the perfect cat <laughs> for a long time now. So if I'm not, you know, hosting a startup event or going to startup events or talking to founders about their pitch decks, you will probably see me at some sort of cat rescue place trying to find like my perfect match.
0: My gosh, what's your perfect cat? Like what? what's on the list?
1: I mean, I'm pretty open, but I'm looking for a tuxedo a tuxedo cat, maybe a little tuxedo kitten.
0: Yeah. Precious. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> I hope that you get to fulfill that bucket list item like immediately and then hopefully get to Korea soon. So oh.
1: can see the fam. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah.
0: All right. What is a book that you wish everybody would read or just a book that you just love?
1: A book that I read recently that kind of blew my mind and I feel like I should have read much sooner is The Untethered Soul. I feel like that's like a such a good one. Yeah. I think that's maybe one of the best books I've
0: read in a while. The Untethered Soul. I haven't read this. I'm looking it up. It sounds. I really loved it. Ooh, this is right up my alley. Awesome. Yeah. Add it to the list. This is the problem with this question is my like Goodreads, you know, like <laughs> to read list just, just keeps growing, just keeps growing. <laughs> I need a, I need, um, the ability to like download books into my brain. Fortunately, audiobooks exist. That that helps. Audiobook, and then like reading an actual book at this. Like I, I try to always have two going: one one audio, one real. It's a it's a lot. Okay, Elizabeth. We know you're in the LA area, but if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you live? And there's no restrictions. This isn't a. This doesn't have to be based in logic.
1: No yeah. geographical <laughs> restrictions. Probably Korea, to be honest. I think that's why I want to travel there or travel back there. It, it feels like a second home and I do have family there. So
0: which part of Korea would, would you go to?
1: My family's based pretty close to Seoul.
0: Yeah, that'd be nice. I haven't been to Korea. I think I've just been to like the airport, but you know, that sort of thing. It's like, it's not the real thing, <laughs> but I would love to. Okay. And final question. How do you want to be remembered?
1: As someone kind. Pretty straightforward, yeah. A lot of the people um that I look up to, like people who are my role models, are very successful in what they do professionally, but they're also known as being incredibly kind people. And I think that's something that I really aspire to. Me too.
0: That's kind of my like life goal.
1: Yeah.
0: Or that camping, like the camping motto, like leave it better than you found it, but through kindness. Uh, well, Elizabeth, it's been fantastic. Thank you for putting up with the ghosts in my house, slamming doors, <laughs> probably a teenager and or the wind and me stumbling over basic words. Before we end, where can everybody learn more about you online? Where can they find you more about your work? What are your handles? All that.
1: Yeah. If you want to learn more about it, you can check out our website, which is good110.org. You can find us on all of our socials with the same handle. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I would also suggest people sign up for our newsletter that my team puts together with a lot of love and care each month. And then myself, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, which is just Elizabeth Tutus, my full name. And then I'm also on Twitter, and my username is MS Tutus, which is like Miss
0: Tutus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's t-u-t-t-a-s yeah double t double s ah S. perfect well thank you so much for being here today elizabeth this has been fantastic well thank you for having me let us know as soon as you get that cap
1: oh thank you i will <laughs>
0: All right, and that's the interview with Elizabeth. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed getting to know her. Fantastic human, right? There were so many amazing things we talked about, but the things I really want to focus in on are just some of the some of the things we talked about as far as making events more interesting, more interactive and getting that feedback loop from people. So, specifically building in time for discussion and putting people in more breakout rooms. If it's a big group, it's so hard to have a conversation when there's a bunch of people on the zoom screen. Right. I mean, some people will speak up, but it's not, it's just not the same as being in person. Is it? And even in person, sometimes you're in kind of a big group and you just choose not to talk because other people are talking The the conversation goes somewhere else before you had a chance to add your nuance to it. So more frequent opportunities to break out into smaller groups and opportunities to interact, talk, discuss. I think it's kind of like a no-brainer, but it's also, I think, a good reminder to all of us that like, how can I, can I sprinkle that in a little more even into kind of bigger, more introductory events? I think it's great to get people in a smaller room together and, and give them the options. If like, Hey, if you're not into it, you can stay in the bigger room with me and we can just talk as a, as a big group and you can be more anonymous. That's just me though. I, th- I think there's, sometimes I'm not in the mood to go in a breakout room. And so I will bail on the call, you know, obviously it's not me running it or work related just because I don't have the energy. So giving people the option to not even increasingly, it's something I'm more mindful of anyways, just that whole idea of what do you have to consider as a community leader, even just the scheduling of like, Hey, this time of day, For the type of people who are a part of my community or a part of my greater circle, is it convenient? As Elizabeth mentioned, as an example, like parents during that like crabby bedtime (laughs) time block of like seven to nine, if you have small children, like that's really hard to make work. We almost have to remind ourselves like, hey, are these events as well attended as they could be? Is there a factor I'm not considering? So it's just that mindfulness. Just being considerate. Don't even get me started on time zones. Like, that's a huge part of my world because we have a global community. So, being considerate of how do we create more programming that accommodates people who might be asleep when we are in the midday, when we do like to do events and vice versa that are working when I, when technically it's like late evening for me. Like, how do we, how do we make that work so everyone gets good experiences, but not at the cost of burnout and whatnot? I also love um, just some of the tools we talked about, I think can help with this kind of thing. Elizabeth mentioned Luma, which I realized I actually do have experience with, but as a member, like on that other side, I've never used it as an organizer. And then I love Butter. I think it's a really fun platform that you can kind of build in very interactive agendas. If hosting an hour or longer on Zoom with a group of people is not your jam try it like go check out butter they have a free option you can try it it just kind of takes the pressure off because it's very it's organized in a really fun way i also like that they have dance parties and like music breaks as an option you don't have to do it but i'm not a big dance in front of people person but you know it's fun i've been in events butter events where that happened and it was actually fun the Funding pathway series, so many things I love about this, and I hope you got some ideas from it. And just that thinking about, I mean, obviously, anybody starting a startup, or a tech startup, especially, they're probably going to need to consider funding options, right? Like, this makes sense for the Grid 110 group, that these would be hot topics And to frankly, look at things besides VC, because VC is cool, you can get a ton of money. But it's not free. There's a lot of expectations that go along with that money. And it's not for everybody. Like that can be a a block for someone really pursuing their dreams, because they're like, I don't want to deal with that, right? One creating the series, because they knew it would be really popular with their members, because they know what their members talk about. But also then looking at hey, maybe this isn't even just for members. Maybe we open this to the public and maybe we add replays on YouTube for the public or for people who can't make it and And their signups going from 20 to 150 each month. Like, love it. So that's definitely got me thinking about how can I kind of let people in to some programming that might not be full-fledged members but are adjacent in some way and maybe hey maybe it'll help them decide to become a member or maybe it'll just help them along their journey and they leave thinking positive things about our brand you know there's nothing wrong with that so those are kind of like my big my big ones i really like how elizabeth has leveraged luma for data 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 looking at attendance, looking to see who's been, you know, who's kind of dropping off, whatnot. I think that's pretty cool. And for the type of community they have and events they have, it makes perfect sense. We use Burb for that because most of our, most everything we do is pretty much online. It's digital. So we use that for kind of advanced metrics. There's a lot to say about go, go to a coffee shop without your laptop. I know the horror and think about some of these things. Like how could I how could I do this? How could I create events and invite a larger group? What would that look like? How should I reach out to people to make sure they're all good? Because I haven't seen them at events for a while. Just all of it. Anyways, I will stop rambling on. I would love to hear what you thought. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Jillian Benbow on Twitter. There's also, of course, at Team SPI. Would love some feedback. I've been having a little fun. I go like very hot and cold on Twitter, but lately I've been super hot and talking to so many community builders and just having a blast. So hopefully there will be an episode or two soon as a result of those conversations. So hop in the hot conversations. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Come, come hang out on Twitter. It's fun until then. I hope you have a wonderful week. May the odds be ever in your favor and I'll see you next week. See you next Tuesday. learn more about grid 110 at grid 110.org on twitter and instagram and linkedin and all the places it's grid 110 at grid 110 definitely go sign up for their newsletter you know i did and then if you want to connect with elizabeth specifically she is on twitter at miss tutus m-s-t-u-t-t-a-s-s Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.